the gates and ready to go. Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow is underway from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine here on the Outkick Network. Glad you're with us. If you're streaming live, if you're listening live on this great radio partner, we say thank you. Jam-packed show today for the Wednesday edition. Mike Renner will join us from the Messenger, football analyst. Dive into the rookie quarterbacks across the NFL currently. He did a deep dive uh, breakdown on that recently. He'll join us in studio. We'll go through uh, the three and look ahead to what could be a massive quarterback class coming up in 2024. Primary complaint each and every Wednesday in the first hour. We also have Tom Glavin, Hall of Famer. Chad, one of our favorites ever growing up in the 90s uh, with the Braves. Glavin's on the show today in hour number two, as is our fearless leader, OutKick founder, Clay Travis. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hutton. Good to be back. 1995, Tom Glavin, game six, the old Atlanta Fulton County Stadium, a combined one-hit shutout of the former Cleveland Indians, now Cleveland Guardians, to win the Atlanta Braves their first World Series, one of the greatest and most clutch performances in Major League Baseball history. I was uh, a young lad at the time, huge Braves fan, watching that game intently with my grandmother, my Nana, and I remember everything about that game, including David Justice's big home run that lifted the Braves, and there was controversy that morning with David Justice and Atlanta fans. David Justice was booed that night until he hit that home run. I'm going to ask Glavin about that coming up at 4.20 Eastern time today. Hud and I am pumped to talk Me to too. the great Tom Glavin Me today. Too. It's going to be fun. Uh, been a bucket list uh, guest of ours for a while. He joins us uh, later in today's show. Uh, speaking of the Braves, quite the finish uh, while you're out uh, with uh, doubling up on Harper and ending that game, coming down 4-0 and, and winning 5-4 to even the series at one game apiece. They'll have first pitch at 5.07 Eastern in Philadelphia for game three of the NLDS. Uh, quite the series, quite the start to the postseason for Major League Baseball, Chad. Yeah, and... It's such a marathon, right? We know this about the game of baseball. 162 games in the regular season. Hutton's Orioles out in three games. Yep. There's an injustice to that. This historically great season for the Orioles. I, I get it. that Maybe they're not coming back from a 3-0 deficit and winning a seven-game series. But we've seen it happen before. The 2004 Boston Red Sox with Kurt Schilling comes to mind about a team that came back from down 0-3. I, I just hate that. Anything that is left up to a smaller amount of games after you've played 162, I, I, I don't like it. I don't like going from seven games to five with that. I like the going from one game to three for the wildcard series and getting more teams in the postseason. I'm all for that. I'm not a hardliner that thinks you know only two division winners and you have an, NLD, an NLCS and an ALCS and that's it. There's just something very unjust about five games only to decide a series, to decide a season after 162 games. I'm all for shortening the season a bit if it includes lengthening the playoff series because they want to get to all this in before the first week of November or whatever it is. Like That excuse, I just pushed to the side. They could, they could force this to be a little bit more fast-paced if they wanted to. And if they want to lengthen things out a bit for TV revenue and purposes of that, uh, shorten the season by a week or two. I'm with you. And, and allow the series to go seven games if, if you want. And plus... Who said I, baseball has to start in October with the postseason? 
You could start the last week of September and make these seven-game series, or like you said, Hutton, fit another couple teams into the playoffs. If you want, yeah. If that's the way you want to go to do it. I think more playoff teams, just in general in sports, I'm not one that typically says, oh, there's too many teams making the playoffs. NBA and NHL, a great example. More than half the league makes the playoffs, right? That's a lot, but I also think it's good for the sport if you keep more cities and fan bases interested for a longer period of time and you don't go through an entire season where it feels like you have no chance at playing in a playoff series. So that part of it I'm okay with. For baseball, though, especially, I just think five games in a, in a division series. Right. You've got four teams left in each league. Five games is just way too short a time and not, not enough games to me. It should be best of seven. That should be how you decide these games. I think it sucks. I don't like it. I don't like watching the Braves, Phillies, and feeling feeling like you know the series is over, down four nothing in game two of the series. Even though the oh, Braves didn't come back uh, to win oh, five four, but it's not. No, they've got new life now. How about that finish, man? That you, was you and I incredible. have not talked about this because you were out. Great to have you back. Uh, it feels like I'm talking to you on the phone right now because I'm looking at a camera and I can't see anything in I return, know. so I don't know your emotions here. I have great peripheral, uh, peripheral, yeah. periphery. At peripheral? least you have a clock to look at peripheral? as well. Peripheral, I'll spell it later. Peripheral, I, I glances at you, Hutton, so I yeah. kind of see you over here while also looking straight forward. So, yeah. Uh, the, the finish, The though, finish was amazing. Uh, covering the, what, 94, 96 feet by Michael Harris Jr. Uh, Harper busting it to get back. I, I, I've watched this replay at least 20 times now. Have you seen the video that's going around of the, the call, every different call that was made with that play? And I, I uh, have not, the, the different broadcast crews? I, I've not seen it's that awesome. yet. So I don't want to sound too much like an elitist, but I was watching this game from a lake house. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, with the family, fall break. I don't own the lake house. A, a buddy of mine owns it. Um, got a nice deal on it, if, in case you were wondering. Great spot, by the way. Um, Tim's Ford Lake, for those who are familiar. Gated in Tennessee. Uh, not only that, I, mean, I had to unlock a gate just to go down my drive. Not a, not a community, just one solo drive to go to this lake house. It was so nice. But Hutton, I'm surrounded by forest. I'm out on this deck that is, it's got a roof on it, but it's wide open. Watching this game, it's probably a 48-degree night, and I'm watching this thing happen. Riley hits the home run and in the as it is, and, oh, the Riley home run, the one-armed home run to take the 5-4 lead. First off, that game was over until Travis Darno ambushed a first pitch and had a two-run home run to make it 4-3. Then Riley's two-run bomb to make it 5-4. Then you go into the ninth inning. When that ball was hit, I was certain it was a two-run blast and that the Phillies had taken the lead. But instead, Money Mike, Michael Harris, oh. great catch up against the wall. Here's the question. What in the world was Bryce Harper thinking on that play? Because you do not get that far. He was halfway between second and third. That's the only way. Well, he took off. The yeah. Braves doubled him up because you're right. You get around second base. Like you want to in that situation, you want to hang yourself up right around second base. If he catches that, it gives you time to get back, take a perfect throw, and bouncing off the wall to get you out at first. But gives you time to get back. And if he it goes off the wall, you're scoring anyways when you're at second base already. I, I thought that was a horrible. Mental mistake, that's when being too aggressive can cost you, but terrific finish. And what a play by Austin Riley. Riley, Hutton reminded me a little bit of Derek Jeter 
uh, in the, the series against the A's, I want to say 2003 maybe, where he had the cutoff where he throws it, kind of shovel passes the yes. ball home. Yeah, with the glove. Yeah, but just the, you know, he's backing the play up. The, but Harris awareness. throws it to no one, trying to get it in quick. It goes through a cutoff man into the middle part of the infield, and it's Austin Riley coming over, scooping it like it's a short bouncing ball to hit to him at third and guns him out at first. Matt Olson's celebrating before the ball gets there. I, I, I leapt to my feet and, and did a big fist pump. Something else I love about baseball postseason, games during the day, is something very old-timey about that when you can turn on Fox on an actual network at 3 o'clock on a Tuesday and watch the Minnesota Twins versus the Houston Astros. Um, I like weekday day baseball in the playoffs. Something very old-fashioned about it before you know, they even played games at night, World Series be played during the day. But I like that networks are picking up games during the middle of the day. You want a World week. Series game in the middle of the day? I would be okay one? with it. I understand why it doesn't happen. Yeah. But I, I, would, I would be okay seeing one of them that happens, like on a Wednesday afternoon. Jed, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm on board with the Braves. I think they're winning the series now based off what happened in game two. Well, and, and, we get to ask Tom bats, Glavin about bats, that. Yeah, the bats come alive as well late in that game. But the Phillies, you're right. You had reason to, uh, to doubt the, the series based on what happened uh, in recent, uh, recent uh, series for the Braves and Phillies. But uh, the way that game ended and the, the, the camera shaking with how loud it was there, awesome. Fantastic. Well, and it's also it's a cruel reminder of the cruel nature of the sport that a team that I think you could use numbers and say this is the greatest offense in the history of baseball. They went how many innings without scoring a run in the postseason? Was it the seventh or the sixth when they finally scored on 15 innings? sixth. They broke records for going on a streak of scoreless innings to start the postseason. A team that had not been shut out since May 12th got shut out in game one of the NLDS. Well, we mentioned the the Phillies as an alpha of the weekend based on that. Crazy. Based on the numbers and the offense that they shut down in game one. I still don't feel good about it. This was the best home field advantage in all of baseball last year at Citizens Bank Park. Yeah. They've got the whole Red October uh, saying going again. Um, I, I, I don't feel great. But I look, I would have – they were dead had they not pulled off that miraculous finish the other night. So they're squared in the series, right back in it. But I still – it feels like – the Phillies are going to take care of business again. I hate to say that, but we can ask Tom Glavin his feelings on the series now. Coming up in just a little over an hour. Chad, uh, two, two organizations in the NFL felt dead to rights in the month of September. The Cincinnati Bengals and the Los Angeles Chargers. Don't sleep on either team now as we go into the heart of October and the pivot point of an NFL season. We've mentioned in the past, of the last 11 Super Bowl champions, only one Super Bowl champion, has lost more than one game in the month of October. Just keep that in mind. Here is uh, the, the, the Chargers coming off of a bye week. Cincinnati is about to go into one after this week's game. And they seem to be picking up steam a bit, albeit it was against Arizona. But we saw what we needed to, or at least I did, in a breakout performance for Jamar Chase this season. After demanding the football in week four, they give him the football in week five. And Joe Burrow at quarterback, says he's feeling better and better. If he continues to get healthy and that roster continues to get healthy, watch out for Cincinnati after a month of dormant play based on the fact that their quarterback was immobile. 
Burrow, he missed a couple of throws that he just doesn't miss this past weekend. But if they, again, maintain the progress, they're the Bengals team that we thought they were. They're 2-3 and three right now. They're hosting Seattle this week. Then they go into the bye. They come off the bye, Chad, taking on San Francisco. And then they host the Buffalo Bills. They'll travel to San Francisco, host Buffalo after the bye in a critical matchup this week as they host Seattle. Uh, and the Seahawks are coming off their bye week right now. Um, and again, Chase, in terms of the connection between he and Burrow, no friction here. The longest completion by air distance of Burrow's professional career was this past week. But it's not about delivering the football. It's about his mobility. And if the mobility stays on the trajectory that, that it is, where it's getting better, at least that's what he and his head coach say, Cincinnati's going to be okay. Meanwhile, there's the Chargers. Chad, the Chargers now, they take on Dallas on Monday Night Football. They're 2-2. Two and two. They're coming off of their week off. And following Monday night, they go into a short week where they then take on Kansas City on the road in Arrowhead. This is the pivot point for LA. You've got uh, Brandon Staley, who's extremely aggressive as a head coach, nearly bit him again in a win over Minnesota. They get it going into the bye week. But the Chargers are another team to watch because, again, two wins, both L.A. and Cincy seem to be battling right now for a wild card spot, but it could be much more than that uh, given the circumstance of the AFC. Aaron Rodgers is hurt. Burrow has been down. And across the board, there are a lot of two or three win teams in an AFC uh, battle that I think many predicted we would have a year ago that we never had. Now it's much more competitive this year than I think we thought it would be given the fact that some of the quarterbacks have either been dinged or they're out for the year. Big, big weeks ahead in October for Cincinnati and L.A. to turn things around. Hutton, I bet on Cincinnati before the season started to win the Super Bowl. Plus 1,000 were the odds at the time. What is it now? I wonder what I could have gotten oh. at 1-3 after losing 27-3 to the Titans, where the odds went at that point. I, I've not looked. Um, I'm sure that, you know they went back down a little uh, bit or back no up doubt. a little bit after the yeah. win this week. But um, I hope you're right on Cincinnati. Definitely not dead, either one of no. those teams. No, no doubt about it. And what is the, the common denominator between those two, but also the thing that puts teams over the top in the NFL? It's dominate, dominant quarterback play. And both teams have. Well, it. So yeah, that's neither one is, is dead, that's for sure. The uh, Cleveland Browns, they have Deshaun Watson on the injury report. Shoulder injury. No timetable of the specific return for him, but they're getting in preparation for their upcoming matchup against San Francisco. If Deshaun Watson can't go, they're going to turn to PJ Walker, who is currently on their practice squad. He would be elevated to the active roster, just like he was uh, last week, whenever they had to turn and, and go to uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson, uh, but they're going to flip-flop. Dorian Thompson Robinson would end up being the backup and PJ Walker, off the practice squad for Cleveland, would end up being a starter. If this is a, a, something that continues uh, to be a trend with the shoulder issue, that trade of Joshua Dobbs to Arizona is going to come back to haunt the Browns front office and Kevin Stefanski. Stefanski, in a world of hurt here, again, they've got San Francisco at home, 
Then they'll travel to Indianapolis. Then they take on Seattle. That's a three-pack that's very difficult in October, especially if Watson, who was looking good after the win over Tennessee, can't go because of a shoulder issue that now is keeping him out not one game, but possibly multiple games uh, coming off of a a long weekend and coming off of a, a chance to actually build some momentum for a team that has a great defense and plenty of weapons offensively. And it seems like they're wasting a great defense. That's what kills you more than anything right now with, with the Browns is that that defense is really, really good. And your quarterback either was bad or now can't stay healthy. That's a tough spot. Tom Glavin and Clay Travis coming up next hour. When we come back, Mike Renner will join us. More football discussion. We'll take on the three rookies across the NFL. We'll get a complete assessment of their start to their careers next. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Ehop Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hot Mike with Honey with our rolls on across the Outkick Network. Chad, uh, USC Notre Dame coming up this weekend. Pretty big game. Last I checked. Pretty big. Pretty big. Storied programs, both of them. That's right. Some big games across the NFL as well. We'll dive into all of it with Mike Renner, who joins us in studio here on Hot Mike with Honey Withrow. Mike uh, with the Messenger. Mike, always great to have you in studio, man. Hope things are well. Doing great. Thanks for having me back here. Uh, you were headed to Notre Dame SC. I am. Hopefully, I don't get too wet. It looks like it's going to be a soaker. That's well, no good. Yeah. Well, it's a good way to slow down Caleb Williams, I'll say. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Maybe the only way. How far ahead is Caleb Williams to you compared to last year's, or this rookie class currently in the NFL last year's draft? Man, it just in terms of certainty, it just terms of like high end. I, I think he has the ability to be like, like a Patrick Mahomes, like a Josh Allen, that, you know, maybe Anthony Richardson could reach that, maybe C.J. Stroud could, but I think they end up, you know, maybe just a touch below that, even like a Bryce Young, maybe a touch below that. But Caleb Williams, what he can do physically is just, it's off the charts. I haven't seen a combination of just like the arm and the accuracy of him coming out in the draft. Uh, since I started doing this, 2015 drafts, my first draft of doing draft analysis, and no one really since that time has really had that the way he does. And, and how far ahead is he to the rest of the quarterback crop that seems to be very deep for next year's draft? So, so I love Drake May. I, I think he's a, a good a step above Drake May at this point, and, and probably the tiebreaker is the fact that he's just such a talented athlete. Like, May's a good athlete in his own right, but if you want to run you know, Caleb Williams 10, 15 times a game, he'd probably go for over 1,000 yards in the NFL. Like, that's how special he is as a runner. So I, I have them to neck and neck as, like, truly like tier one type of prospects that you don't get one in every single class. Mm -hmm. Then after that, I I think there's a little bit of a gap, but man, Shadur Sanders, what he's done this year, I think Bo Nix, what he's done this year, Michael Penix, what he's done this year. Like there are a ton of names in that kind of second tier behind those two at the top that if you told me they all ended up first round picks would not be surprising to me one bit. How do you rate a guy when so much of what they do is off schedule? Uh, I think of Kyler Murray, even in Cliff Kingsbury's offense, Mike, it felt like everything that happened was him improvising and making something happen. Every highlight I see of Caleb Williams is that way. You see the natural ability, but I feel like him and Shador Sanders, not a ton of what they do is perfectly on time. It's those guys at times abandoning the pocket and making something out of nothing. Yeah, it's tough, and you go back to even like a Johnny Manziel who tried to rely on that, and then obviously once he got to the NFL, it did not work out. Uh, so I think to play that style of football, you better be like Kyler Murray is, who's like you know a four-four athlete. You better be a high-end guy who could be, 
you know, athletically enough to just outrun these defensive ends. Uh, but I, I do think that's, I don't want to say somewhat underselling Caleb Williams, but he can win from the pocket. He has shown that. It's just he knows in that scheme he doesn't have to. He has one of the best offensive lines in the country in terms of pass protection. And so it's like, can I hit my guy on like a five-yard hitch or can I hold off and wait for that big play knowing that if a defensive end comes free, I can break the pocket and still make that big play. So I think there's some of that that goes on in his decision-making in his head week to week that he could play on schedule if he wants to, but kind of chooses not to. So I do think there is some reeling in to be had from his game once he gets to the NFL. But I do think I've seen enough from that. Uh, even if you kind of took that part away, he's still a high-end prospect. Mike Renner, our guest in studio here at 6th and Peabody. He's with the Messenger, football analyst, uh, does great work uh, both through the draft and analyzing what's going on right now in the NFL. Just on the SC-Notre uh, Dame matchup real quick, you mentioned the rain could be a, a sloppy one. How much does that help the SC defense? And if Williams had a defense... What would we really be talking about with that? <laughs> I, I think it honestly doesn't. I think that if the rain comes, I think that favors Notre Dame because what they want to do is, you know, establish the run, get that offensive line going. Obviously, didn't get it to work this past week, but I think you, when it's sloppier, that kind of gives you the first mover advantage. The guy who's getting that contact first, you're sliding backwards then. So uh, if you're wanting to run the ball, that's probably going to behoove Notre Dame in that scenario. So I'm not sure anything's saving grace for this USC <laughs> defense at this point. So, Mike, uh, unfortunate news with Anthony Richardson, the shoulder injury against the Titans, going on IR out at least four more games now. It's Minshew mania again. But what have you seen from Anthony Richardson early on in, in his rookie year that, that gives you optimism for the future, even though he's going to miss this time now moving forward? I think just the way he moves in the pocket is what I'm so encouraged about. And it's just the fearlessness. And some of that comes with being – you know, bigger than some of the guys rushing the passer with you. But some of that just is innate in who he is. And he did that back at Florida. And why that's why he was coveted, you know, so highly as a top five pick is just that when the pockets are bearing down, when guys are all around him, he throws like he has five feet in each direction. You know, he is completely unfazed when that stuff breaks down. And that's that's a rarity and something that you really, I, I think we've seen a lot of guys have been struggled to coach into him. I, I know Baker Mayfield especially is one that I really point to that, you know, he had these massive pockets in Oklahoma. And once he got to the NFL, Zach Wilson, same thing, BYU. Once he gets to the NFL, they kind of struggled to make those plays under pressure. And maybe not even under pressure, but just from tighter quarters that you have to make in the NFL. That's just the nature of the game. And Anthony Richardson, week after week, has shown that uh, he's fearless in those situations. Man, uh, Renner, uh, Mike Renner with us. Richardson, uh, Mike, had this throw to Alec Pierce last week before he got hurt. That was just on the money dropped it in the basket. I mean, it's exactly pinpoint what you want. Accuracy, uh, you know, give and take there with him. I, it, it sucks if you're just a straight football fan, no, no dog in the fight here on who you're rooting for. It sucks to see the injury because they're getting Jonathan Taylor back. We saw what Zach Moss was doing, putting a run game behind a rookie quarterback and then allowing him to develop as the season progresses. They're stunting the growth maybe is a stretch here for Richardson, but as young as he is and the investment being made, a long-term shoulder issue is not one that's great for his situation. Not great for anyone, but specifically the situation he's in right now. 100% because of what you mentioned. Like, the accuracy needs to improve. He needs reps. Like, the guy needs to play yeah. some football. One year as a starter going back to Florida. And, you know, for as good as he is right away, like, there are still a lot of missed throws on his tape. And obviously now hampering a shoulder injury on his throwing shoulder isn't going to make things any easier when he does come back. And, and like you mentioned there, not having Jonathan Taylor, now getting him back and seeing what this offense could be with him because Jonathan Gannon scheming it up. They've had a lot of space for Zach Moss to work with. And Zach Moss, for as much as I you know like him as a, pro 
at, like him as a running back. He ain't no Jonathan Taylor. He doesn't have that home run no. ability that Jonathan Taylor does on a week-to-week basis. So putting those two, two freaks like that in the backfield would have been awesome. Now we're going to have to wait a few weeks now to see that happen. The average NFL fan has not seen Carolina play. Right, uh, not until Thankfully. their Thursday night. Right, yeah. right. Uh, what's the? What, I, I haven't seen Carolina play either, so is, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, intentionally well, avoiding watching them play. On, is that well? Fair enough. Yeah. Um, in, in watching Bryce Young, where's the good in what you've seen, and where is he really taking his lumps? I think he's taking his lumps in the intermediate and deeper ranges of the football field. I, I think he's kind of the speed of the game is a little bit faster than he's used to, and so when he's used to kind of having those wide open you know, throws to guys like Jamison Williams back at Alabama that he could hit in his sleep. I, I think he's missing defenders more than I've ever seen before, uh, more than I ever saw at Alabama. And that's just, that's something that, you know, you hope progresses. I, I think where I have liked what I've seen from him is the creation ability. He still has that kind of ability to bounce away from pressure in the pocket, keep his eyes down the football field, hit a guy, maybe move in the opposite direction of where he's going. There still has that kind of, off-platform arm talent where he's making throws on the money. I don't think accuracy and has been any bit of an issue for him whatsoever early on. It really has been kind of a decision-making and then a supporting cast issue where they just don't have they don't have guys who can get open deep. And so you're seeing just teams squat on everything in the intermediate, yeah. underneath ranges, and it's just making the windows that much tighter for him. That, that criticism of, of Young, I feel like you probably, at least I would think, Mike, that you could apply it to C.J. Stroud coming into the league, where he came from at Ohio State with those great receivers and guys being wide open at times. But he's been terrific early on with the Texans. Well, what has been the difference with C.J. Stroud that you've seen with his play so far as opposed to Bryce Young? I think one is, one's the offense. Like He's truly like getting a lot more in-structure, timing, open wide receivers. And it's an offense that you know, it's the Kyle Shanahan coaching tree. It's an offense that has a yep. lot of inbreakers. A lot of the same routes he loved throwing to Jackson Smith and Jigba is what they're dialing up for him there down in Houston. And then it's just the confidence aspect. I think after one or two games, you know, I think it was really that second half of the indie game where it was he had to drop back pretty much the entire second half. They were down, and yeah, they didn't come back, but he still moved the ball easily. And I think that gave him the confidence that the handful of games since then, you've really seen him – uh, not be not be fearful, not be pulling uh, stuff down, not be hesitant to pull the trigger when there may be a little bit of a tight window there, and that's rare for a young quarterback. It's that's such a big thing to coach into a guy that's difficult to really know how confident he's going to be right out the gate. But man, C.J. Stroud looks like he's playing, you know, at a veteran level here early on. Texans look like one of the teams that just got it right in the draft. Will Anderson has also been uh, producing well. Uh, what other what other organizations crushed it? in 2023 back in April? Gosh, I mean, the Philadelphia Eagles, what they got with Jalen Carter, for him to be the ninth overall pick, and he looks like the best rookie defensive tackle since Aaron Donald, and, and truthfully might be the best defensive tackle in the NFL not named Aaron Donald right now. That is just, that's insane. Like, that, that should not happen to a team that was in the Super Bowl last year that already had the best defensive line in football. To add a guy like that, uh, that truly was, you know, still only the ninth pick of the draft, still a t- high pick, but that's a steal for a guy as talented as he's been. How about the Rams, too? For the team that says F them picks, they've got some, you know, Nakua and, uh, and others that are, are stepping up. Also, uh, how does, how does A-Chain go third round? He's the fastest guy at the Combine, and he goes third round to Miami of all teams? Someone, someone actually pulled a clip of me on draft night saying, I can't believe the rest of the NFL let this happen when he, <laughs> when he got drafted to the Miami Dolphins because it truly was like the 
most unreal fit of the fastest man in college football, one of the fastest running backs probably since uh, Chris Johnson to come into the NFL, to go to the fastest offense in the NFL that utilizes speed better than anyone else in the NFL. And my gosh, I mean, the guy was going to go for 2,000 yards if he didn't get hurt here, unfortunately, this past week. But he's just electric. And, and really what I love about him is he just he never stops going at full speed. Like he's undersized. And what you worry about undersized guys is that they'll stop their feet, then all of a sudden they get hit and they get taken down. He doesn't stop his feet. He is going to run through a tiny hole at full speed and make you have to tackle him. And, man, not a lot of guys have been able to. Chad, the Dolphins right now, number one passing offense and running offense. Not bad. Um, and uh, certainly got a guy that's fast and can do a lot of that running. Um, I, th- there's some guys that you've written about. They don't do a lot of running during the game, but they do a lot of blocking. Offensive tackle, Mike, looks to be stacked this upcoming year. You may see one of those top prospects this weekend at that USC-Notre Dame game. Who are a few of the guys you're keeping an eye on the top of that board? Yeah, to me, this is the best tackle class since, gosh, the well, I guess that was 2020 when we had Andrew Thomas, Tristan Wirfs, Mackay Becton. Like, like these are going to be – I would assume we see three top ten picks at the offensive tackle position. One being Joe Alt, Notre Dame offensive tackle, but I don't even have him as OT1, even though I think he's going to be a top ten pick. That's Olu Fashanu I have as OT1, Penn State left tackle. I think he's allowed like one pressure all season mm-hmm. long. He's one of the best pass-protecting tackles I've seen at the collegiate level, again, since I started doing this in 2015. And then J.C. Latham from Alabama is probably the third one there. A little bit different than the other two. He he's, might be the strongest O-lineman in college football right now. A guy just throws people around. So it's a tackle class. He's that, 359 pounds. He's 359 pounds. I think he benched over 500 twice <laughs> for two reps. The, the guy, and you watch him on tape, like he bench presses DTs, man. He's throwing them left and right. It's, it's a joy to watch him play the game of football. And if you're in need of passing game, this upcoming draft has – Quarterbacks, wide receivers, tackles. It'll be it'll be a fun one to watch. How much of that is due to the players staying back for NIL purposes? If it's uh, if they're getting a third, fourth, fifth round grade, and they're trying to improve to a, a second round, third round type salary for their rookie season. Yeah, I think it's huge for not only the game of college football and getting better players to stay at the collegiate level, but also for the NFL. You get guys coming in the NFL more ready to play. Like it's a win win for everybody. And then obviously the players getting paid themselves. So I think that's a big aspect of it. I think you're going to see more, I don't say like top heavy drafts. Like you're going to see better first rounds. You're going to see fewer first round busts in the coming years because you're going to get guys who are more seasoned, who have more experience and kind of weed themselves out. We allowed a lot of the guys who are projects who never quite develop. So uh, I think it's good for everyone, that whole NIL landscape. Uh, I notice you've got Bo Nix right now, currently third on your big board at, at quarterback. What's the biggest difference between Bo Nix at Auburn and Bo Nix now at Oregon that, that you can, that you can see? Man, I mean, there's a zillion differences. He looks like, if you told me it was two different guys, I'd believe you. He even like plays the game differently. He turned from, he looked like Drew Locke back at Auburn. Now he looks like Alex Smith. The guy's like a game manager. He doesn't make mistakes with the football. He's quick with the ball, gets it out of his hands. Like, it's a far cry from the dude we saw at Auburn. Uh, and truly, like, hats off to him. He, he remade himself, remade his game, and now he's one of the more accurate passers in college football after being you know, a disaster from an accuracy perspective back at Auburn. But it's it kind of it's almost reminiscent of like a Jalen Hurts where everyone kind of still remembers that first impression of the guy. You know, everyone remembered the Alabama Jalen Hurts. And it's like, oh, we can't pass. Well, you know, sometimes guys improve. Sometimes guys put in the work. And when they do, you got to believe it. And after a year and a half now of Bo Nix at Auburn, uh, I believe it. You're taking Washington or Oregon this weekend? Man, that's tough. Washington's just so loaded. I, I think I have to go Washington. They, they, they have so much talent offensively, not just at the quarterback position. You know, Michael Penix, Bo Nix, probably a wash there. But 
Romo Dunze, like the wide receiver for Washington, like they have just dudes on that offense that good luck stopping them, truly. Like that is one of the most explosive offenses in college football right now. Mike Renner will be there for Notre Dame and uh, SC. Jealous uh, of, of that atmosphere you get to take in. Always great with uh, the messenger and your NFL analysis, Mike. Thanks for coming in studio with us, man. For sure, fellas. Appreciate having me on. Absolutely. Uh, Chad, your guy, Michael Penix Jr., it's uh, my Continues my team also my my oh, surprise yeah. playoff team. That wouldn't be much of a surprise now the way they've been playing. No, but you, you get credit for this. Yeah, the August prediction. Hey, I, at least one of my predictions may actually come true. Huh? That's what I'm looking it's for. The only to one I year. remember. The, that, that and one. the things that I pitch Kelly in Vegas. The only things that actually work out for me. Primary complaint always works out for us each and every Wednesday. We are our top grievance of the week next. Our thanks to Mike Renner for joining us here in studio at 6 the Peabody with Yeehaw Pierre and Old Smoky Moonshine. Great uh, football analysis at The Messenger. Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow rolls on across the Outkick Network. Chad, we finished the discussion there about uh, Washington, Oregon. Heisman showdown. Could be seeing it right here with uh, Penix Jr. and with Bo Nix. And, uh, and here's the other thing, too. I mentioned this yesterday. See if you agree. The winner is featured more on the national landscape of college football from the nationally televised games moving forward than the loser maybe prominent may not be the right uh way to describe well, it, it but, it is but the you, game. you you the pivot from the win for the winning quarterback if you play well pushes you forward towards new york and the heisman trust uh, there's just something which is huge about for the, for the you know your legacy no doubt but it is the biggest game of the week Right. Uh, th- there's there, there's no doubt it's the biggest game of this college football weekend. There is just something crazy about you can take a game in the southwest part of the country in Southern California between two teams from that area, and it feels bigger automatically than two teams in the Pacific Northwest. I, I don't know what you do to make both of those teams playing each other. Now, if it's Oregon versus Ohio State – Oregon against it's, it's anyone massive, other than the Pacific Northwest, right, really. It's, it's Pacific Northwest versus Pacific Northwest that makes it seem lesser than what it is. And I, I don't really understand that other than a geographic bias across the country because these two teams are great. Both of them, Hutton, it's not your stereotypical Pac-12, all offense, weak defensive line. Both these teams get after you in pretty much every way. Yeah. And it's going to be great football in a great atmosphere in Seattle. You got sailgating going on, going on before the game. But I, I watch, I'm still, I'm, I'm trying to look at this the way I did Ohio State and Notre Dame. And I'm just not quite getting there between these two teams. And I think it's only because of the area of the country they're located. Well, it's like a, the, the discovery of that area of the country whenever, you know, we, we added that to the United States, right? Like, yeah. it, it, like it's kind of the same feel of, Boy, we've heard about it, but we haven't really seen it yet. I don't think a lot of people have seen Washington. They've heard oh, it. They, I, I, absolutely know, not. They, they've heard how good it is, but this is the this is the first impression for many. And, and by the way, first impression for many Heisman voters as well, which sucks, will be in this matchup. You know the game that I watch most of Washington in? was on Peacock versus Michigan That's State. Right. I remember that. So I doubt all of America's tuning into Peacock that, to that watch was in, Washington. That was Chad's top and, 10 games of the week. And yeah, it was. It was. It was my first Peacock appearance in the top yeah. 10 games of the week. 
I think Washington's a playoff team. I said it before the season. I think Michael Penix Jr. is going to be the Heisman Trophy winner. I love that team. There's something about Pacific Northwest versus Pacific Northwest that's difficult to embrace. I'm going to try to get through it. We have three days left in the week. I'm going to try to push through this barrier and get excited about this game. But I feel like when people talk about this game on a national stage, it still has this air of, man, they actually play some good football up there in timber country. These two teams playing each other. It's going to be not, you know, it's really good, good football being played. It's, it's too cute almost of a story, but it's the biggest game of the weekend nationally. I'm going to get fully behind it. I'm just not completely in my right headspace to be there just yet. Maybe it was the lake house I was at also. Well, it's maybe, throwing me off. maybe, but it is college football and it is a, a, a massive, massive matchup. We will uh, be previewing throughout the rest of the week. Chad, uh, every week at this time, we air our top grievance. It is time for primary complaint. It's time to air our top grievance of the week. You can complain all you want. My job is so unfulfilling. Don't run away from your feelings. It's time for a Hot Mike's primary complaint. Guys, my primary complaint this week, just packaging in general, but more specific, snacks and medicine. Uh, I, I understand why you have the Tylenol individual packet, right? And it's very difficult to open because they don't want kids getting into all these things, I guess. At least that's my theory. You can also put a childproof uh, a little hook on your cabinet, though. And I don't need uh, assembly required or tools required in order to get into said cabinet like I do this packaging. Uh, same could be said for many brands of chips, uh, uh, different uh, snacks like cookies. Some things open very simply, and others just simply don't. I need to go get the scissors. I'm tired of this. There should be a universal acceptance of the fact that two hands is all you need to open some food that you buy at the store. That's my primary complaint. Hutton, it's, that's a great one. Um, I'm going to add one to the list also of packaging. Hot dog packages. Ran into this problem while grilling out at, at the lake house. The pill back, right? Well, the pill back, Which but you it can't, never... you can't get your... No, yeah, you can't, you can't get, get your the, fingernails on it. You can't get it started. And then when you start to do it, it tears in the wrong direction. Yes. I had scissors out, and I'm cutting as close Again. as I can to the wieners around the package, and I still can't cut... I got to gash the thing in the middle to open it up every time, and then you try to wrap it back up, you don't eat all the hot dogs. It is a disaster. It is. Every single time, I'm thinking, I'm this close to the dog itself. Why is it not opening to where I can get into the rest of the hot dogs? And what I've done is I've, I've cut an exact rectangle around the entire package, and I still can't get into the damn package. And then you ruined it for, for future. Everywhere. If you're trying to save a few, you have to go get a Ziploc bag or something. Figure now. this out. This, I mean, they, they, the, the, this cold-cut sandwich process isn't this difficult. Can no. I Ziploc it back up? It's awful. This isn't food related, but do you know why you mentioned Tylenol? Like why those packages are so difficult to open? Childproof? No, it's because of the 1982 Chicago Tylenol poisonings where somebody went into a pharmacy oh. and tampered with all the Tylenol and put potassium cyanide in it and seven people ended up dying. Well, I mean. Let's, uh, cue the Debbie Downer music yeah. on yep, that one. Yep. It's common. That old I mean, 1982 cyanide poisoning. Yeah. It's, uh, there um, were several copycat crimes from it as well. Uh, my, my thought is if you're going to try to uh, poison some food or something, you're going to 
you're going to be able to do it. Who do you remember? Who poisoned trick or treaters back in the day? That now every parent believes that's a possibility. Did this ever actually happen, or is it like an urban legend that you got to check all the packaging I, of everything because people might poison your children when they're passing out Halloween candy? I remember one time when I was Davy would know. Davy would know if there yeah, was an actual happened in the eighties. Uh, Tell us about the uh, there, Milwaukee, Wisconsin incident of seventy six. There were situations where I'm trying to think of what the item was that they used that they they put in like certain candy bars. I remember my parents never would let me eat anything that was home baked. Yeah. Like I got a cupcake one time and they just like threw it out as soon as I like I brought that back. They're like, nope, you can't have that. Yeah, which anything made me frustrated. We, we would throw out too. Yeah, which made me mm. frustrated because I didn't know that rule going in and I had the option of getting actual like wrapped candy. Which, oh, and you took the yeah, um, yeah you took and the I took goods. it and it's like I made a bad well, business decision. It's also it's not as much about you know a parent thinking that they're trying to poison their child as much as. We don't know if it was baked properly, you know, if there's something allergic that's in there. Oh, yeah, the ingredients. More of that. Like, is it good? How long has this thing been out? It's kind of that that whole process with it. Anyway, um, that's a good one, Hun. Sparked a conversation. I don't know if this is going to spark a conversation, but it's just reality. My primary complaint, uh, having been at a lake the last couple days, wet feet. Uh, there's no cure for it. The moment that your shoe, that that water permeates the shoe and gets to the sock... It's over. You're done. You know you're going to be irritated the rest of the day. I, I've got oars out, and I, I'm paddling my young children on the lake, and I happen to pull the oar up at the wrong time when there's still water on it. Water across both feet. Feet are cold and wet, and I've got another uh, 45 minutes of paddling to do, and I'm thinking I'm not going to be able to feel these things. They're going to go numb. I'm going to be irritated the rest of the day. Then I'm going to get the wet socks off later, I'm going to throw those in the dryer, but my feet are going to itch because the wet of the wetness of the shoe and the sock on top of it. Wet feet, we've all had them. We all know about it. It's the worst. It's my primary complaint. It is. Do you guys like just carry an extra pair of socks in your bag? No, not not unless I'm at the lake or somewhere oh, I'm like going to get my feet wet. Or just period. Like, do you have extra pair of socks in your bag right now? I, I don't, but sometimes whenever I go up to the office, there's like the chance that rain's going to oh, hit, yeah. and yeah. so I know if I'm walking back down, like I've I've sat in the studio and just like had wet socks on, and it was just a miserable show it's for awful. me. So I started just carrying an extra pair. I thought you were going to tell me that you had a sweaty foot problem. No, nope, you have to I have don't. an extra pair of socks for. No, it's it's not for that, but my primary complaint does involve sweat chad and it's uh like the armpit stains on shirts and it's just because I can't control the temperature in certain environments and like right now is that time of year where it happens in the fall and the spring as we're going through where some days it's going to get up to the 80s but then it's going to drop into the low 50s at night and so the heat versus air conditioning being on at different times if it was up to me the thermostat would stay at 67 degrees at all time. I know not a lot of people are going to get behind that, but that's just where I'm at. And so then it's, you know, I, I did buy a new shirt the other day. And then uh, the next thing you know, it's like, oh man, I've already got sweating through this one. And that's just a problem. I probably drink too much caffeine. So that's partially my problem. But at the end of the day, it's still, it's just like, ah, I feel weird lifting up my arms knowing like that's going to be seen. What caffeine do you drink? I've never seen you with a coffee. Uh, Usually, uh, um, cut the check, but a, a Lonnie energy drink. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes I'll do like, it's not, 
it's similar to a five hour, but it's something else. I usually like take that. What I'll do is, is it shot form or is it full drink? The Alani's full drink. I'll usually drink that coming in, but usually before I wake up, I'll set my alarm an hour beforehand and take a shot. That way the caffeine like naturally wakes my body up. So I'm not as miserable when the alarm ends up going off wow. an hour later. Do you guys remember when Jesse Spano on Say by the Bell got hooked on caffeine pills? And there was a whole episode that's ridiculous, but it's got the I'm vague, so excited. Very I'm vague so excited. Of this, it's, yes. it's, it's a famous meme now of Jesse crying, singing I'm so excited. And the whole plot line was that she was addicted to caffeine pills. It is a drug. Um, are there? Do those still exist? Like, I feel like gas stations may still have them behind the counter. Those rhinoceros where pills. Where you can buy caffeine pills. <laughs> Rhino pills. I've never had they a ban- caffeine pill. They Remember, they banned the, ga- the, the gas station pills from Major League Baseball clubhouses That's right. like four years ago. Like greenies back in the day, like Mickey Mantle yeah. abuse. Put another asterisk up. Those uh, yellow jackets and the... Yellow jackets, Yellow yes. jackets and uh, rhinoceros pills. Hud, remember we once did the smelling salts Yes. Uh, on air? I, I want to do a show on caffeine pills. And just see the effects of them. I want to find out what was so only, cool. We can only assume that's all it is in those I want. I want to know what Jesse Spano was really experiencing and how she got hooked on them. So I've never taken a caffeine pill. They sell them over the counter at gas stations. So I assume they're fine. You know, everything at a gas station's okay. Davey, I, I can hear uh, uh, the... Re, they'll, he'll redo the scene, and Chad will be crying, but singing the song that's the nightmare. What, what does she the says? Kids? I'm so excited. No, but what's the I'm kids? I'm so excited. I'm so your torture so music scared. That's the torture music from the uh, from the truck from last oh, week. Uh, that's what you'll be crying uh, and singing. The Baby Yoda song yeah, where he says, yeah. "Mando, Mando, where my chicky nuggies yeah. gone?" Were you subjected to that on multiple occasions this weekend? No, but it did pop in my head a couple times and. Now I've got my oldest daughter. We just watched Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And we were quoting that the whole time. And she was jumping off a dock and she was doing the dun da dun da dun da da So now we've got that stuck in our head with that, the Indiana Jones better. theme. That, that, that's this is a lot so much better over. for you, though. Oh, so much better. By the way, Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom still holds up. Still great. Some parts what? a little cheesier now than you maybe remember. Last Crusade, absolutely. I watched that recently with my eight-year-old, and I'm thinking, this movie is damn near perfect for just an adventure movie start to finish. Every part of it is almost perfect. Last Crusade is definitely number one in my book, it's followed number by one Raiders of, my of the book, Lost too. Ark. I don't, you don't like Temple of Doom. I'm not a fan of it. It's, um, I read this about the movie. Apparently, uh, Steven Spielberg and George Lucas were going through a divorce at the time and losing custody of their children. So they said the movie was darker because they were confronting the idea of not being around their kids. Hence the storyline where the children were stolen hmm. from the Indian village in the movie. Okay, that was okay, a big Dr. part Jones. of that when they were writing it. Is that what ruins the movie for you, Davey, is the the, the plot with the children? Uh, no, it's just... I, I mean, hate Short Round. That's why. Uh, I, short Round's awesome. Okie dokie, Dr. Jones. Hold on to your potatoes. I, no uh, time for da- love. Data also from the Goonies, same kid. Uh, and then, uh, what's that film, Chad? You always talked about watching recently. Won a lot of Academy Awards. Which one? <laughs> the won a lot of There's Academy so Awards. The it's it's the same guy. I can't remember his name. George Lucas, Steven. No, oh, no, no. Oh, the the oh, kid who uh, played Short Round. Everything, something, all at once. Yeah, that. Everything, oh. everywhere, all at that. once. Yeah, he won the Best Supporting Actor. Right. That's what it was. Yeah. I love love his performance in Temple of Doom. That Short Round. One of the fa- one of the best so much kids better that you get to, uh, sing in that any song. movie ever. Like the the kid performer with adults, he was the, one of the best of all time in cinema history. Coming up, the latest NFL injury news of note. Plus, on the bus, off the bus.